0: What's up, everyone? Welcome back to the State of the Arc podcast. My name is Mike. My name's Kacen. And uh, my my audio sounds a million times better now because my studio is sound-treated, finally. I was re-watching right. one of the podcasts like a week or two ago. I was getting pissed about all the reverb on my end, but now it's no, yeah. fixed. Now it's Now it's done for. And you can actually see it in the... In the camera now too it's all up on the wall sounds great in here anyways uh, this one might be a little bit of a shorter podcast uh, the main topic today is going to be what makes a good side quest uh, but before we get into that let's talk about a couple of things in the news number one uh, a few months ago Hajime Tabata left Square Enix by the way that was I'm, I'm never gonna I'm never gonna let them forget this they announced that in a second yes. anniversary celebration event. Yes, a celebration event. That's when they announced that he left Square. And they freaking canceled like half their projects <laughs> that they were working on. Um so anyways, he left Square and he's he formed his own game studio. Now we have some uh some news on what he's been working on. What the F? Zoom in. Okay, that's good enough. Says Hajime Tabata Studio JP Games announces Paralympic Sports RPG, The Pegasus Dream Tour. Uh, let me send this to you, case you might Wait, actually get really? this. It's a sports RPG, but like it's a But pa- Paralympic. Yeah, so it's like it's like huh. gods.
1: Oh, okay. Paralympic means
0: something different to me, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> it's like these winged, godlike, like Olympic beings. Huh. called the pegasus tour jp so Games. this is studio... like the
1: monstars from space
0: jam <laughs> yeah dude that's it <laughs> jp games okay. the studio established for final fantasy 15 director Hajime tabata has announced the pegasus dream tour the first official video game of the international paralympic committee par- 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 wait wait para yeah paralympic committed wait a minute Maybe you are right about what that means. Hold on. It is yeah. being created under the concept of taking RPG to the next level and creating an abundant future with games and will yeah. launch worldwide in 2020 for various platforms, including smartphones.
1: You see, here's the thing, though. because So what they're saying is the sport at the Paralympics is outstanding and helps transform attitudes towards persons with di- disabilities, right? Yeah, you're right. So the par- paralyzed or, you know, the Paralympics means other things,
0: but... Yeah, there's a girl in the wheelchair, and the, and the, the character yeah, here, he's here's mi- the thing, missing though. a leg.
1: I, I see that now. Now I'm seeing that. However, these look like not... Um, Disabled these people, people. look <laughs> very able. <laughs> they seem very, very physically able. They literally, like, yeah, you're in a wheelchair, but you have wings, so you can fly... <laughs> Uh, I don't know. It's it, it, I don't know. Okay. Well, I, did, we'll I didn't they...
0: even notice. I mean, I, I was. It's kind of small on my screen here, but I um, didn't notice at first that the that's like a, what do you call it? Like a prosthetic on the on the legs of the two characters on the. Yeah, left I see that leg. now. Yeah. And then, like the girl in the middle is in a wheelchair. But she can fly. <laughs> it's like... Well,
1: I don't know. Okay, that's fine. That's fine. You it's never cool, you it's never cool. know.
0: You never know an anime because. Sometimes people just have wings like symbolically.
1: That's actually, that's a good point. It doesn't mean that they can necessarily
0: fly. These wings are transparent. Yeah. They're, maybe they're like spiritual. I don't know. Anyway, let's keep okay, sure, sure. Instead, sure. Of, instead of speculating, let's see what they say. <laughs> yeah, well, I wonder, because
1: Paralympics isn't just about physically disabled, but also mentally disabled. So I wonder how they're going to include stuff like that as well.
0: It says, the Pegasus Dream Tour, which marks the first title to be released by JP Games, is a completely new sports role-playing game where players participate in a virtual Paralympic games that take place inside a fantasy metropolis known as Pegasus City. So that's why it's called Pegasus Dream Tour.
1: Okay, and that's why they all look like they have Pegasus wings.
0: Here, players awaken their special abilities or extra power with an X. Extra power. Extra. (laughs) Haha, nice. In an alternate (laughs) Paralympics world... uh, dynamically rendered in ways that only video games can achieve. Eh, That that last sentence is funny. Mm -hmm. Um, The makers are planning for the Pegasus Stream Tour to be accessible on various platforms, including smartphones. Mm -hmm. Ahead of the Tokyo 2020 Paralympics, we are eager to explore innovative ways to engage with new and younger global audiences, International Paralympics Committee President Andrew Parsons said in press release. We believe this game will help uh, boost interest in the Paralympic Games and make it easier for people all over the world to enjoy the experience, the heated atmosphere, passion, and excitement of the event. Uh, Parsons added the sport Mm. at the Paralympics is outstanding and helps transform attitudes towards persons with disabilities like no other event. I'm really excited to see and play this game and see see the outstanding abilities of para-athletes or how they are uh, represented. Hajime Tabata commented, "This is not just an ordinary video game with sports. JP Games is going to represent fully the wonders that are unique to Paralympic sports in this brand new role-playing game, a genre we excel in. With this video game, we want to contribute to the future growth of Paralympic games, not as a sporting event, but as entertainment as well. With contents we hope will be lasting value in the future." Well, what an interesting, what an interesting project.
1: Yeah, that's not at all what I was expecting that he would be working on. He left Square Enix to do this. I I do see one thing, though. Um, The budget for the Tokyo Olympics, and I've been hearing... I I watch Japanese TV like all the time. And one of the consistent themes that they're always talking about is the Olympics are over budget. (laughs) Like They haven't Mm -hmm. built half the stuff they need to build by next year, and they've already run out of money. They're asking the city and the government for more money, which is common you know, with a lot of Olympics.
0: Oh, stuff, Olympics almost always like freaking, they usually the economy lose money. Of this, exactly. Of the city. It's only like this yeah. in recent memory. It's only like the one, the winter Olympics in Salt Lake city that, yeah, that the Utah like, It I actually yeah. boosted Utah's economy. Yeah. Which like, just, because they didn't,
1: they just use the facilities they already had. They didn't spend millions and millions and hundreds of millions building new facilities that yeah. were only going to be used for like two weeks. And then like, then what? So yeah. they built a few things, but not very much. Uh, but w- one of the things I was going to bring up was that the, the spending has gotten sweat of control. I think a lot of the spending has actually gone into marketing the Olympics as well. And I believe that's where the budget for this game is coming from. And so it's entirely possible that this isn't necessarily the project that he would normally have gone into, but they had somebody offered a lot of money and he left Square Enix saying, Hey, We'll we'll go do this because Tokyo's just bleeding money for these Olympic games right now.
0: Mm. Yeah, I could see it uh, being something that, especially with like the Cool Japan initiative, you know, back yeah. in early two thousands, them like trying to ask video game creators to like make stuff to like exactly. get people stoked for the Olympics or Paralympics in this case, and and putting some some real money into it. Yeah. Anyways, interesting stuff. Keep an eye yep. on that. See where it goes. Um, any other thing? Yesterday, a trailer for Star Wars Episode 9 was released. Did you watch yes, it? Yes. I did watch it.
1: Um, I'm just... I'm probably never going to watch another Star Wars movie. I'm done. I'm
0: done. Well, I, I was might... done already, but...
1: Yeah, you were done before. You were done after, I think, Rogue One. I wasn't done till, um Episode 8. And I was like, alright, dude. We're like, this is... I'm done. I'm done. So I didn't watch solo, which if you told my younger self that a new star Wars movie about Han Solo came out and I didn't care to see it, I'd have told you you were insane, but that's yeah. where I'm at right now. And I'll tell you what, this episode nine doesn't, I mean, it looks fine. I might watch it for free streaming one night. If other people want to, I'm not going to leave the room, but I'm not going out of my way to watch this movie.
0: Nope. Yeah. Like I was watching it, right. Cause JJ Abrams is coming back. Yeah. He's doing and... that. So, like, you know, part of me, the, the the last vestige of my heart that has any interest in this only exists because it it, it was weird to me that J.J. was meant to start and uh, do the setup for arcs of a three-part trilogy and yep. had almost no involvement in the story of the second movie. Mm. Yep. And to me, it was like you saw so many things established or set up that were obviously meant to be important that he like gave as a gift to whoever would follow up. And then they just ignored that stuff. And it was like, now nah, I'm just going to do my own thing. Like mm-hmm. the entire concept that we're going to have three different directors who are not really working closely with each other on the story of these three movies are all going to kind of handle them as if they're separate projects that are yeah. self-contained different things is asinine like what are you doing this was bound
1: to happen like this whole like uh whoops none of these are connected and one one person can literally screw up the entire story is like that i could have told them that that was going to happen you know
0: yeah so anyways that whole thing is messed up because they had a, a, a initially a different director for the third one and then he got he dropped out, I should say, and yeah. I don't know if, he, if they fired him. I don't. They know. have gotten but rid of
1: like a lot of directors. Most of the directors for these movies several times now. It's freaking. It is yeah. clearly not as well run as say the Marvel side. Of so, the movie.
0: so since JJ is back for nine, again, the last little tiny piece of me that has any interest in this is interested for almost for two reasons, mostly. Mm-hmm. One being, is he going to try to pay off what he set up in seven and <laughs> ignore all the developments of eight or or like, how is he going to handle that? Like, it's more yeah. like a, like a cynical, like interest in just like, how does Disney feel about the reaction to eight? Really? I mean, all their public statements, right. of course, are denouncing everyone as trolls and right. Yeah. But like, how do they really feel about it? And that's going to be determined on. How scared they are that it's going to hurt them from a, a money standpoint, right? How where will they actually shift direction to please the fans? I'm really more interested in that than I am in any of the characters or the story or anything else that's actually happening there. <laughs> well, you don't care about Poe and that um, that one girl
1: um, uh, who like kissed him at the end of the episode. Oh, eight.
0: Rose and um, Rose. You, you and, tell me you don't care about Rose and Poe? Well, Poe's the the pilot guy. Who's Sorry, the... Finn? Finn? Finn, that's his name. Yeah. You tell
1: me you don't care. See, I don't even... I'm just not into this anymore. <laughs> you don't care about Rose and Finn? That's not how that much was, I care that
0: about. That was... Um, I think they're all fantastic actors, by the way. I think they're all very... Oh, yeah, very, they're talented, good. Yeah, on their own. Actors. And that was actually think...
1: true. That was true of the Star Wars prequels. Yeah. Uh, or even the original trilogy. Like, they're all good actors, but their best work is not the star Wars films and that yeah. that's carrying through till these new movies, you know?
0: Yeah. And it's so weird. Cause it's almost like the opposite problem. Like the prequels had a decent underlying concept and premise in a story, but like the writing was not good and the directing yeah. was not good. Yeah. Here it's like they, they, they have the writing's
1: like, better. I still don't know about the directing though. The
0: individual dialogue is generally a lot better than the prequels, but like the overall writing is in terms, of, in terms of like story is what where it really struggles. So the premise, the concept, like the entire like story itself is a, a total mess. But yeah. like the actors feel more believable when you're listening to them talk and presentation-wise, I think, especially Episode 7, it captured, at least for a while, the spirit of Star Wars original trilogy. Yeah, it did, yeah. So there were certain things they were on the right yeah. foot with. Yeah. And then, I don't know, just, like, the story itself, It and, and that's the whole problem, like I was saying, is that they didn't, like, actually outline a three-part story. They just had one guy do one, and set up things that could possibly pay off later. And then the second guy was like, no, I don't want to pay it off. (laughs) I don't want to pay off what you did. I want to do my own thing. And it's like, okay, then just make them three individual, independent, self-contained stories. Don't turn it into a trilogy, an ongoing story, three-parter. That's crazy. I mean, it just literally makes no sense to do it that way. Um, we lost and Hopefully he'll be back here in a minute. Anyways, uh, so the trailer for episode nine dropped yesterday. And, you know, I was watching it. And it was like, okay, uh, sorry. Where I left off was basically just saying that it just makes no sense that you would set up a three-part story but then have no plan or outline of how I know. it's going to go, and just have the first guy set up things that could be paid off, but then have the second guy, like, ignore those things. It's just, make them three individual, separate, self-contained things we are going to do it that way, right? Yes. Yeah, seriously. Um, seriously. Anyways, so, I was watching this, and... You know, it was fine. You got Mark Hamill's voice, so Luke's back as Force Ghost, obviously. Yeah, and he's
1: like, no one's ever truly gone. That's there.
0: the part that's so... dull, oh, man. And I, then the freaking... I, that was the moment. That was the moment Hat, Hat. where I was like, yep, 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 yep. They fetched it well, up again. They're, so, they're going
1: Kingdom Hearts <laughs> with this whole thing, and you can't yes. come back
0: from that. <laughs> Did you see... I don't know if you know Red Letter Media. Oh, crap, we lost you again. Red Letter Media published a video yesterday called no one's ever truly gone and it just went through like basically like dozens and dozens of deaths in the star wars movie like guys going down their ships blowing up um the emperor being thrown down people being cut in half by lightsabers like just all these people dying and every time no one's ever truly gone (laughs) No one's ever truly gone. Don't be sad. No one's ever truly gone. <laughs> and it's just like, ah, like my entire problem with like the EU, the original EU, that's all been discontinued now. I mean, some of it was great. <laughs> Modern uh, Erasmus says, Casein's dropping more times than Snoop Dogg today. <laughs> uh What's up? So really? I don't know if you. But, but. Okay, I'm still in, right? Yeah, you're here. I don't know if you've heard of Red Letter Media. It's a YouTube channel. I haven't. They do like movie reviews. So they went through and they showed like dozens and dozens of deaths, guys Mm -hmm. being blown up in ships or like, like in Star even, Wars. Even like Sh- Shmi, who is like Anakin's mother, people getting cut in half by yeah. lightsabers, and every time it like pauses, no one's ever truly gone. No one's ever truly gone. Don't be sad, Anakin, because no one's ever truly gone. It <laughs> <laughs> just like goes through like a hundred different deaths. No one's ever truly gone. No one's ever truly And that's how that's how it felt like watching. Yeah. It's just like so cheap. It's just like Nothing means anything if no one's ever truly gone. Death on. doesn't mean anything. And as soon yeah. as death doesn't mean anything anymore, like, you've lost. The there's, no there's no stakes. There's no stakes anymore. Like, nothing matters. This is why, like, Dragon Ball Z becomes so dumb because, like, characters die, you just wish them back with Dragon Balls and he's come back. I know, exactly. That, like, that's a problem with Dragon Ball TV Z. series, like, this is like a soap opera thing. Uh, the guy like, like <laughs> yeah. fakes his death and comes out of the casket at the wedding. And like, everyone's like, oh my gosh, he's not dead. <laughs> like this is, and this is why my, I had a problem with a lot of the EU, uh, before Disney discontinued it, like the extra Star Wars stuff, because they bring the emperor back. And it's just like, dude, yeah. why, why are you bringing back an old character? Make a new character and make that character a fan favorite instead of constantly calling back to remember how you liked this villain He's back. <laughs> Aren't you excited now? No, I'm not. Fetch that. That's stupid. No. Get but out if, of here. If they're all back,
1: why? Why do we need Ray? We'll just just continue Luke's story forever. Bring Han back.
0: Bring all of the people back, and let's just keep, keep the original crew going forever. If the Emperor's <laughs> back, then why can't Han come back? Why can't I me mean, It just gets. It just gets so stupid. Like you muddy the waters for like the rules. And like finality of anything. See,
1: and it's a cheap it's a cheap move that works in the short term. It will not work long term, though. Because short term, oh, no, everyone, look. See, all the old characters are back now. But long term, it's like, oh, crap. All the characters can totally come back at any time. This ruins everything. Like everything that we're planning on doing in the future. So it's like, it's just short term, short term thinking from Disney.
0: Now, I say they this. They want
1: this movie to do well. They don't care about the future as much.
0: I say this with the uh with the caveat that I'm totally speculating on the nature upon which this character will be returning. if yeah, who knows we've never <laughs> we've never seen a Sith Lord come back as a force ghost before. So I guess that's why my assumption would not go there. like he's actually physically back. That's what I assume yeah. is happening. Yeah, because I mean, they killed the emperor of this trilogy in the second movie. So like yeah, that was a weird um, anti climax. Kind of thing. they <laughs> need an emperor again, but like bring actually, the they back. don't need Ooh. an emperor again. But they they feel like they need an emperor again. So they're gonna bring back the original emperor <laughs> again. It's just like fetch, come on! You cannot be more creative than that. Like well, that here. actor is still around. You know, he's still he's not as old as you'd think. Yeah, <laughs> he was pretty young in the original trilogy.
1: He actually was. Um, what's funny too is that the emperor. So the emperor his his character kind of like apparently figured out how to bring people back from the dead or something like that or to prevent people from dying. He discovered the key to immortality. Right? Isn't yeah, that, that what was, we learned? That in the was prequels? part of the, yeah, yeah. That's how he kind of convinced Anakin to become bad. Yes. And so like it's not that it doesn't at all work with what George Lucas originally wrote. <laughs> it's just that it's a bad idea for any story to go there it's almost like jumping the shark like it's almost yep. like once you go there you you have sold out your story in a way that people just aren't gonna really appreciate <laughs> we got some good comments here hold on yeah bring back charger pinks <laughs> wait did he die though he's he's still alive as far as I know
0: so, Colin Pelucis says, "No one's ever truly gone. Murders young children. That was actually in the video. <laughs> I mean you're probably oh him me, killing like, the younglings. <laughs> uh. It's like no one's ever truly gone um <laughs> It's ridiculous, but if any character is going to come back, then it should be Palpatine, considering his master a bit uninspired, though. And then uh, this one from Geno Imperial. So Star Wars is Final Fantasy 4? Yes, that was my one problem with Final Fantasy 4. I love the tone. I I love the general story of FF4. It would probably Everyone comes back. Oh, well, spoiler alert. (laughs) (laughs) It would probably be closer to my favorite if they actually had the balls to keep dead characters dead in that game.
1: Yeah, especially the way um, some of them went... Um... Two of them went in, one of them was very spectacular
0: peaceful. fashion.
1: Yeah, but then exactly, you know what I'm talking about. <laughs> S- sit or whoever. Anyways, S- I don't know S- if we it. should be specific, but that was freaking epic. It's like, how sacrificial and brave can you possibly be? And boom, he does it. Oh, but he's still alive. So what did he sacrifice? Well, nothing. Being unconscious for two minutes, I guess is, it was his great sacrifice.
0: Yeah. Uh, it cheapens Zeno, the whole thing. Xeno chat says in before Qui-Gon, uh, Jin revives everyone DBZ style. <laughs> and then he also said in before Darth Vader versus Palpatine for the final battle in episode nine. Do you know what? Whoa. As much of a joke as that is, I'm almost, I'm almost, Palpatine? I'm almost, I'm almost convinced that's actually what they're going to do because it's the end of the, the Skywalker saga. And right. Like, what was it called? To bring it's called it to Skywalker.
1: What's the name? The title? Uh,
0: uh, the Rise of Skywalker, I think. The
1: Rise of Skywalker, something like that, yeah. Which is weird. The end of the Skywalker saga is titled "The Rise of." Skywalker.
0: And, and this all this this all started. This all started with Anakin and Palpatine, right? And if they end yeah. it with Anakin and Palpatine fighting someone,
1: I mean, it's a it's a bookend, <laughs> sure. But the way they got there is like, are you freaking kidding me? <laughs>
0: The thing is, is that I don't even, I don't even like, I don't even, I can't even dismiss that as a possibility with how like dumb some of this stuff has been. Like, well,
1: I know it's seriously, anything can happen after episode oh eight. It's like anything can happen.
0: Oh my gosh. Paradise says it would be dope and dumb at the same time. And and dope in, and in, dumb. A, in a certain it would. way. It actually would. In a certain way. If I heard from somebody who saw it, that that happened, I would almost be actually watch it. I would actually be keen to go see that. For yeah. for the sake of it being so dumb that I just have to like that well, could be extremely entertaining.
1: You know, that was part of the appeal of episode 2 was when Yoda, they showed it in the trailer, all of a sudden Yoda pulls out his lightsaber and it's like we're going to see Yoda fight with a lightsaber, <laughs> holy crap. And then you you know, that was that was worth the price of admission for the time, you know. It was like yeah. you see Yoda flipping around and doing his thing and it's like that was cool. I was 16 when that movie came out, I think, or 14 or something. That was cool. That was that was worth it for me. So the Darth Vader <laughs> Palpatine, that would actually, I'd probably, for old time's sake, go back Especially and watch they got like they probably In get theaters. Like,
0: um, Hayden Christensen to play Anakin oh again. Oh my gosh, yeah. That'd actually I'd, be pretty cool. I'd, I wonder, I'd, I'd go movies see that. Anymore? Does he do movies still? Uh, I think he took a hiatus for a while, but he's done some smaller yeah. projects. Christensen.
1: Um, because I've, I've heard about the whole Obi One movie. It got scrapped, it is my understanding. They're not doing it anymore. And um, Ewan McGregor was was going to be the Obi Wan again. And for some reason, they're like, I don't know exactly why. I think it's because Solo didn't do well or something like that.
0: Yeah, it didn't. They've kind
1: of well. scrapped a lot of their future projects. Yeah, they don't even put know if, if that thing is going on anymore. They announced
0: yeah. recently that they. Um they don't have anything currently like in production so like they're going to take a hiatus or a break for a little bit after this movie comes out yeah but which tells you like how how important the the feedback that huge blowback for episode 8 really was i mean like that that yep. took them off guard and and the fact that the following movie didn't do well in response to that they are um they are reconsidering a lot of things but i mean they had uh, the game really of sure. thrones the Game of Thrones producers, they were uh, writing a trilogy that was supposed to take place in like in the old Republic. They were saying that it was going to be a trilogy by um, Ryan Johnson, that he was going to helm. That was a a new trilogy of stories. And they got that TV
1: show that uh, Favreau I
0: think is, is doing right. Yeah. So they had a bunch of stuff that apparently is not in, it's not in production phase. So they're, in pre-production, probably planning that stuff, but none of it's officially been announced. Right. So I don't know. They, they may be taking a hard turn on some of the stuff that they had been planning before. Hmm. So in in all honesty, I think it's a good thing. They need to slow down because I think the fact that these movies were rushed to be done so quickly and back to back every year, a star Wars movie, we all called it right from the start. Like this is not going to be good. This is not gonna like lead us anywhere good. <laughs> Making yep. a Star Wars movie every year is is not a good idea. I know it's just not. It's just not. I mean, because we've already seen it in all the game franchises that became annual. Like people got really sick of it. You 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 should not try to saturate <laughs> the world with the same thing so much. People will get tired of it. The repetition. Yeah,
1: it's of it. funny because people think like as long as it makes money, just keep doing it. <laughs> But there is pretty good argument for like slowing
0: down a little bit, I think. We're seeing it here. Okay, anyways, that's enough about Star Wars. Yep. Oh, but, but,
1: but, Mike, EA, right? Oh, that's right, the game. I think we have a little bit more Star Wars to talk about because it. that trailer came out. <laughs> and yeah. it looks, I will just say it looks interesting. It looks, yeah, it looks um, cool. I have no idea what the gameplay looks like. I have no idea what the story is actually going to be. But the idea, I think the premise is he is like, he's like an undercover Jedi and Order 66 or which one's the one where yeah. they're like, execute, execute Order, Order 66,
0: 66 or kill all 80, the Jedi. 60.
1: So he's like just trying to hide the fact that he's a Jedi, but they end up finding out somehow, I guess. So he's got to fight everybody now. And he's, he um, seems like the kind of
0: character who's got like trust issues, like don't trust anyone. Like, exactly. Trust. Like, nope don't be noticed he's just trying to like you know survive yeah um they didn't show any gameplay no 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 idea no idea especially because like the premise is unless
1: what uh, the whole trailer they showed us is just like the first half hour of the game um Mm. which is possible kind of like the breath of the wild trailer was just the memories and it wasn't the actual like game which was very funny um but Like if they just showed us the beginning, that's fine. If that's if that's what they were going for, Um, but if that is a bigger part of the game, which would be kind of cool, it wouldn't necessarily center around just fighting the entire time. So I wonder how the gameplay would actually work for that. It's very interesting.
0: Yeah, Star Wars Jedi. Uh, I loved the Jedi Knight games back in the day. Those were sick.
1: Yeah, those were cool.
0: So I mean, if if you're making a Star Wars game, there's only two options for me. Mm. One. You make it where I can fly in an X Wing and blow stuff up. Exactly. <laughs> Two, I have to have a lightsaber. Otherwise, you're I a don't Jedi. Care. Yeah. Lightsaber don't is the coolest care weapon. Yeah. About being some foot soldier dude running around shooting stuff. First person. Yeah. Don't care. Don't care. Yeah. Do not care. I have to have a lightsaber or I have to be in an X Wing. That's the only options for me. <laughs> That's so. it. I agree with that. I agree with that. Uh, let's see how much lightsabering you do in this game before I decide if I want to play. Yeah, I mean they showed
1: one lightsaber at the very end of the trailer. So. You get it made, eventually.
0: It's published by EA, and so
1: I know that's the big, and that's everyone's bringing that up. It's like, yeah, but it's EA, so hold your breath. Don't they'll or don't hold. It. Don't hold your breath. It's probably going to have its own issues.
0: They'll ruin it somehow. They always do. Yeah, they'll figure out a way. It's true. Okay. All right, guys. All right, now start. we're done. Time for the main topic for today, which is what makes a good side quest. Uh Star Wars
1: episode eight makes a great side quest (laughs) because it just none of it was relevant. And (laughs) you can watch seven and then watch nine, and probably you don't need to watch eight.
0: You want a little character back. That was a joke. Yes. Yoke, yoke, it was a yoke. Wink wink. Eight is so important. Uh, uh. Wink, wink, nudge, nudge. You know what I mean? You know what I mean? <laughs> <laughs> okay. Uh, if, I, mean, I don't know. Our our humor sometimes is a little dry. Some people might that was a Monty serious. Python joke. Okay, okay. I would say that we're basically never being serious. Well, I can't yeah. say that we're serious. Except
1: every now, because we're about to talk about what makes this high. <laughs> now question. we're about to get serious.
0: <laughs> Please take this seriously at the very least. Uh, just to keep, just to be safe, though. As a default, just don't take anything I say seriously. Assume it's a joke first. (laughs) And then if you're still mad, then we can talk. Exactly. (laughs) I'm being dumb. Let's go. Um, Okay, so side quests. Um, Yeah. You know, I was thinking about this, and uh, I don't think that what I'm going to kind of dive into applies only to side quests. I think that even a main story is filled with smaller mini quests that are essential for the story. Like, they're part of the story, but, like, there's still maybe asides from the, the main fulcrum of the plot. But you still have to do it. Like, for instance, going through, like, Barrett's backstory in, um, in his yeah. hometown of Final Fantasy Seven. Yeah, the place like, uh, by the Golden Saucer. That's part of the main story. Like, you, you can't ignore it but it's yeah, still that's part of what aside. made this so hard like
1: even just thinking about it it's like some of these side quests are actually not really like they feel like side quests but they aren't
0: right so i'm going to re- these principles apply to more than just creating a an optional piece of content i hmm. think they also apply to the you know, because when you're pacing your game, you're gonna have moments of reprieve or moments of aside or moments where you're doing character work and you're not necessarily doing plot work. So these apply to that as well. Also tutorial areas, I think um, this these principles apply to that as well, where you're gonna mm-hmm. have small missions or small quests where you're meant to go through and like learn parts of the game. Um, but in so it's more just like mini quests tutorial or not tutorial but uh, principles that apply also to side quests and any kind of quest that's like a a smaller thing but just from the general sense I'm going to be using the term side quest but just know that it applies to more than just side quests right Hmm. so I started off by thinking about like okay like what kind of quests do I generally think are bad and of course the first thing that comes to mind are things like oh fetch quests and kill quests where mm. go get me 5 of this item or go kill me 7 of this type of enemy and bring back the re- the thing and i'll give you a reward whether that's experience or a weapon or access to information or whatever it is i'll give you yeah. a reward if you go out and just do this laundry list of uh, list of tasks for me right And, I don't know, when you break it down, in most games there aren't that many different types of quests. Like, you have fetch quests as one, kill quests as one, uh, delivery quests where someone gives you something and says, take this to this person. Um, There's only really, like, a few other ones. What are some of the others that I thought of? I'm trying to remember. Um, There's, like, uh, uh, what do you call it? Um investigative quests, where, like, they tell you, like, ooh, something's weird's happening over here. Like, we need someone to go investigate what happened there. You know okay, like, those. Yeah. And then there was one other, but I can't remember what it is right now. Anyways, there's not really that many. Right. <clears throat> because when you're playing games, most games are centered on combat and traversal or exploration. So there's really, like, so much you can do with that. Oh, Escort Missions. Yeah, that's oh, exactly it. Oh, Escorts. Right. Yeah, that's it. That's, that's, that's the other one. So take this person and protect them while they go to this area or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, so you're kind of limited with just like the engine or mechanics or structure of the game with how many ways you can sort of like give the players a task to do. Um, so, you know, my first thought was like, well, that means that, I don't think any of those things are inherently bad. Like when you hear someone talk about, oh, fetch quest, usually it's in a negative connotation. Yeah. But I think that you can structure fetch quests or kill quests or escort quests or any kind of quest. Well, in a way that feels really integrated and unique and people will love it. It's just when you structure them to be repetitive or seemingly non-relevant to what you're doing in the story or whatever it is that it's like, well, this feels empty. It feels like busy work, right?
1: Yeah. And, and some of it also depends on how like intuitive the characters themselves are while you're escorting them. Yeah. Um, like in GoldenEye 64 <laughs> with Natalia, and she just, the reason that escort mission sucks is because she just walks very slowly and very stupidly into very bad situations. Mm-hmm. And she has no real good AI. So it's just, it's annoying. But one of my favorite um, escort missions ever was Telma in Twilight Princess. That was actually one of my favorite parts of that game is when she's riding in the little wagon and you've got to go around and kill all the stuff so that she can get to the place she needs to get to and you kind of protect her. And I actually really liked that. I don't know if that's common for most people, um, but I had fun with that because it felt a little more important and it wasn't just like she had a reason for why she was going slower or why right. she couldn't defend herself very well, or why, you know, if the thing gets lit on fire, it burns all the, the stuff inside of it, so you've got to go around and kill all the dudes with fire arrows. Anyways, mm-hmm. I, like, they're, they're, they just seemed a little bit more
0: purposeful. Mm. <clears throat> so a couple of uh, comments here. Sally says, what category would you put the Soulsborne side quests into? They are sort of about getting Uh-oh. the correct interactions. Um, mm. I don't know uh they're probably they're kind of like investigative quests but also kind of like fetch quests because you go do something and then you come back to the guy who usually is at like the hub area and he's like oh now he has a different thing he says i don't know that's that's a good question Hmm. so i'm not exactly sure how it categories that um yeah go ahead
1: well colin i was just gonna read the same thing you were going to um talking about differentiating between side quests and mini games. Um, yeah. I
0: think this is a good distinction to make. Yeah.
1: Um, a lot of, a lot of older games, I would, con- what I would have considered a side quest kind of probably more falls under mini games. Sure. Kind of like Mario RPG where you've got to Yoshi's Island and you've got mm-hmm. a race against Boshi and it's mostly just a mini game, but it's fun and it kind of feels like a side quest.
0: <laughs> well, I think that mini games and side quests both, tend to serve a similar purpose. Mm. And that is in the issue of pacing a game so that you don't feel like you're doing just one thing repetitively over and over again. They break it up with something different and interesting to keep things, you uh, you know, dynamic, unique, keep the gameplay flow a little, you know, mix it up a bit. Mm. Um, I think they both serve that purpose. But, like, I think a great example is the Fort Condor side quest, in Final Fantasy VII, in which you play the mini game of like battling against the guys coming up the hill, so you return mm. to that area multiple times. Yeah, in part of the quest of saving the Condor, which the re- mm. the, the reward for that is the Phoenix materia, I think. Mm. And but you play a mini game multiple times as part of that quest, right? So that sure. would be how you would make that distinction in that case. Mm. So, anyways, yeah, I mean, we'll we'll try to make sure that we're when we're talking about quests, we're talking about I mean this is kind of the same thing with like um the uh the Chocobo Hot and Cold Um in Final Fantasy Nine is a mini game, but mm. it's part of the Chocograph side quest where you're going around like digging up the treasures on the world map, right? Yeah. So I think most people understand the difference, but, um, yeah, anyways. So, yeah, I was thinking about it and I was like, well, side quests, I think, are especially in long story-driven RPGs with big worlds, they're really important in that, I mean, you could just have the player go from point A to point B through an entire game linearly and tell a good story. But you do miss out on an opportunity, I think to let players explore a world. And when we come to video games, it's like, this is what makes it unique from watching a movie, right? Mm -hmm. If, if the game is just, uh, you're here and now you walk to here and then you see the scene and you walk to here and see the scene, you walk here and fight the boss and see the scene. It's really not structurally any different than seeing a movie or a TV show.
1: Yeah.
0: It's serialized. There's no participation, no choice in terms of what order you do things in or how you go about doing it. And so video games, I think, are uniquely um, able to allow the player to feel like they're part of a world. And I think that for RPGs specifically, since that's mostly what we talk about on the channel, uh, side quests open up the opportunity for you to find and explore and discover a world that that isn't is no longer just now a, a background setting, like just a, a layer in the background of a painting, right? You have like your foreground elements and all oh, the cool yeah. stuff you look at and it's just like the, the blue sky background. <laughs> the, yeah. the, the the world is no longer that, but it feels like it is a living entity. There are things happening here outside of your view if you went that way. And you can go there and discover them. And the illusion of this world being real uh, gives you that extra layer of investment in it. Um, And so side quests to me, from the storytelling perspective, should serve that purpose. That's what I would consider a really good side quest, is if you don't have to do it in order for you to enjoy the game's story, but when you do... It adds context to the game story in a way where you get, like, more invested in it than you would have been before. Now, the other purpose of side quests, uh, I think, is to um, help the the designers use it as a utility to make sure that the, the players are at the right level when they go to the next area or to make sure that um, you're practicing certain mechanics and really, like, learning all, like, the nitty-gritty of the combat system, or to give you rewards, uh, optional rewards. And I think when designers use side quests with only that utility in mind, that's when you start getting side quests that feel empty or hollow or, like, busy work. Because Mm -hmm. they'll say, okay... player reaches this zone or this area typically at level 15 we want them to enter the next zone at level 25 so we need to fill this zone with enough things to make sure that they gain 10 levels before they are encouraged to leave the zone Mm -hmm. so let's put 15 20 30 little exclamation marks on top of characters in the town there that say, go kill me five monsters and come back. And <laughs> if they do a fair amount of those quests, they're going to be level 25. Things will be able to move forward smoothly. That to me is bad game design. Yes. Yeah. Like you, cause you're just dictating almost arbitrarily that they need to be at this level in order to go to the next zone. Like why, why fill that area with busy work to make me a level 25 so that I can go to the next zone instead of just making the next zone a lower level requirement or whatever. Now, here's the reason. Here's the actual reason why. The actual reason why they do this is because it's a it's a back-of-the-box feature they can list as a reason to buy the game. Right. So you can say, I have 70 hours worth of content in this game. And people have become so obsessed with the number of hours of content I, in a yeah. game.
1: Yeah, I've been noticing that
0: that they don't care whether that content is actually engaging or interesting or good. <laughs> they mm-hmm. just want to be able to say, there's over 50 hours of content. And you look at the back of the box, and go, oh, that's we're going to make my purchase worth the money. But but this other game has 60 hours of content. So you right. might want to buy that one instead. <laughs> so what yeah. ends up happening is that games become inflated with hollow busywork. That is totally irrelevant and is only meant to help you, like I said, either get to the right level or practice a certain mechanic or whatever <laughs> it is. It, but they they weren't designed with like the game's world or setting or story in mind. So um examples of this uh, someone up here said uh, something about Ubisoft games. Oh, dummy Guy um, says, Mike is describing every Ubisoft open world game in the last five years. Yeah, that's what Assassin's Creed became. Assassin's yeah, Creed yeah, exactly. is a horrible, horrible example of this, yeah. where you have, like, even the very first Assassin's Creed, right, before they made it into an annual thing, mm-hmm. the, the entire game revolved around, like, four-ish or five-ish types of quests. You can go, like, tail a guy and, like, listen in on his conversation. You can go, like... I think there was pickpocketing, like you go like follow a guy and then like pickpocket the information from him, oh, and yeah. then there was like um, uh, there's like these mini assassinations where you like go like take the guy, you chase him and take him down, and then he gives you the information, and you kill him. And anyways, <laughs> and then there's somewhere you like sit on a bench and just like listen, or, or you like blend into the environment and you have to like walk around with the with the monk dudes and like listen <laughs> to, <laughs> to gather information. So I, that, remember that, that, okay. I remember that. I remember that. Now I know what to do to kill the main guy as part of the story, right? And, and there would be, like, um, five of these types of things you could do, but you only had to, like, fulfill three of them to know, guy will be at this location at this time, and at this vantage point, I'll have the best opportunity to take him out. Okay. That, they repeated that exact same structure, like, five times in the game for the different cities you go to, and it's just, like, it's so repetitive and you just do the same thing over and over again and it's just like really really lame right and yeah. they they tried to diversify it but assassin's creed has always kind of had that problem at its core where you, you do you still do these tailing missions where you're just walking behind guys but not too close or else they'll turn around and like see you <laughs> And so you gotta like, you gotta like blend in. You gotta like just like, you spend like 20 minutes following this guy to like hear information so that then you can go kill him and like do the thing you're supposed to. Anyway. Yeah. So Assassin's Creed has always had a a problem with that as part of like its core identity, right? Um, Whereas games that are shorter, I think that uh, Miss Monet brought something up here. Journey is a wonderful game. I think it's only a couple hours long. That's true. and, and I think that that's fine. Like if you're going to, cause journey is very much a go from a to B game. They have some secrets. Like um, yeah, right. you can discover uh, secrets that give you a little bit more like ambiguous sort of backstory on what's going on and some, but I mean, it doesn't, it, it's, it's very much like a go from a point A to point B game. It's more like yeah. a movie than it is a game. Um, In which
1: case it should probably cost about what a movie costs.
0: Right. And it which, is, which it does. Yeah, it, yeah. It's
1: not a $60 game.
0: But if we're talking about um, like large story driven open world RPGs where you have lots of choice, right? I still think it's okay to make a game 15, 20 hours long. If that's like, if that means you're not going to inflate it with 40 hours of superfluous nonsense. Uh, Xenoblade Chronicles, as much as I love it, is is that it's like half of the game is running and doing fetch quests. And the other half of the game is fighting and seeing a cool story. (laughs) Like (laughs) the gigantic, there is a gigantic portion of that game, which is you can ignore them. You don't have to do them. And so I, I I make that caveat, but like there's there, it would have been nice if the quest structure in Xenoblade one was a little bit more like say, well, this game came out later, so I'm not trying to make comparisons or say this is better than that. I'm not trying to do that, right? I'm just trying to say if the idea behind how the quests were written was more like the way it's done in The Witcher 3. The Witcher 3 side quests are probably the best I've ever seen in an RPG.
1: Yeah.
0: Um, let me give you an example from the early game. So... You're kind of in the first area and you come across a character that says something about a well uh, that, you know, they used to draw from. But like there's like a a haunting or like a ghost, a specter up there. So no one can go and use the water. And there's this horrible thing that happened. And they, they basically explain essentially like a little side story event that happened in this little village. And you go there. And uh, through this side quest, you learn a couple of things that are really important for the game. So it's a utility quest in a lot of ways where you learn uh, how to, because you have to wait to a certain time at night. It's like at the stroke of midnight, the specter will come out, right? So you have to learn how to go in the menu and and tell it, okay, I'm going to wait until this time. And he sort of like sits there and meditates until the time, right? Also, you have to do some investigating in order to find out that you need to use a special type of oil on the blade in order to damage it or else you can't damage it. So you learn about alchemy in the midst of this quest. So it teaches you about you know, time-sensitive uh, quests, which are a big part of the game, waiting to the right time. And it also teaches you about uh, applying, doing alchemy for yourself to buff yourself, but also applying uh, oils to the blade to do better damage to enemies or to damage them at all, which is also a big part of like monster hunts in the game, which is a whole part of the, the setting of the game. Geralt is a witcher. He's a monster hunter. So you're learning about the character and who he is and his role in this world. And then it tells a pretty like heartbreaking Little story about, uh, you know, a couple, a married couple who, you know, during the course of this larger political conflict war that's going on, the pillaging and the the suffering that's happening, you know, like the, the terrible things that happen to some of these people and that you have to dive into the well and recover some of her items and take them back and like, you know, bring resolution to her life. And so they wrote a little kind of clever side story that is engaging and interesting. They taught you utility about how the game works and taught you more about the character all in this little side quest. That's how you make a good side quest. Like, that's that's it. <laughs> mm. you, you engage the, 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 the player in world building that is interesting. You teach them how to do a couple of things that they'll need to know. But it's optional. They don't have to do it. And if they do it, they'll get, like, a more rich experience, a more rich idea and understanding of the world they're in. But you don't have to, right? And there's lots of quests like that. that You can go learn this, you know, gameplay mechanic from something else. But it's just all these options are open for you. You feel like you're having participation and choice. And The Witcher 3 is filled, filled with quests like this. It's It's amazingly well done. It's like every quest feels handcrafted versus like, okay, we made a system. Like like the the Ubisoft the uh, uh, Assassin's yep. Creed games. Here's a system we created about tailing uh, enemies and like learning information. Now let's repeat that same system we made up five times, and then let's make another system and repeat that one ten times. Let's make another system, repeat that one twelve times. So then, like you yeah. know, it, it just feels really uh, arduous to do. It's just like ugh, again. Versus The Witcher, where you do similar things, like you're tracking people and you, you go into your little Witcher mode and you follow the tracks. Like, that's part of a lot of these quests, but the quests are not, they don't feel the same because they're actually telling these really cool, unique little stories, each one of them is. That, that in turn feels a lot like a chapter out of The Last Wish or something. Right. Mm -hmm. Like the Witcher a lot of the Witcher novels that the video games are based on are just collections of short stories. They're not like a a, sort of like a larger plot. Some of them he went in and sort of tied them together with these chapters in between. But like originally they were just here's a little short story for the character and then he goes on a different adventure. And here's another short one. And the sides, the side quests of the Witcher feel like that. They feel like this could be a chapter in The Last Wish. And to me, that was really cool.
1: That's cool.
0: So um, we've got go
1: a bunch more comments from a lot of people. Um, Let's see what they say. Paradise saying Chrono Trigger did side quests the best. Almost all of them had a story running parallel to the main story and provided yes. tremendous depth to the characters while tying it to the story of Lavos.
0: Yes. The Chrono can, Trigger is probably the best example I can think of in the realm yeah. of JRPGs. JRPG specifically. Sure. Yeah, yeah. Where the quests all felt totally like unified With the world and setting in the story and where none of it felt like busy work. And the game is you can beat it in less than 20 hours if you know what you're doing. Like nothing is um, inflated. None of it feels like it's there to extend playtime. Everything that's in there feels like it belongs, that it's there for a reason.
1: Yeah, totally. Totally. Dude McGuy says in the Trails games, they're kind of small side quests, but they're all tied into the story because the characters are bracers, basically friendly mercenaries that do everything from killing large monsters to helping someone find their wallet. So mm-hmm. having a story built around people who their job is to do various odd jobs and small things. Busy work is their job. <laughs> yeah, exactly. That, that is literally what they do. And so it, that kind of reminds me a little bit of Final Fantasy 12 and how you've got the whole... Uh what do they call it? Um the system where you, you fight monsters and you get prestige and you're
0: dang it. What uh is it called? Monster Hunter or are you talking that's about Final Fantasy Twelve. Oh, Final Fantasy Twelve. Oh, I know you yeah, talking about. What's um, it called? Where you go around the guild. You have the guild. Guild and, yeah, yeah, and you're like ranking stuff. up in the guild.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And so that's like none of that's necessary. I don't most of it I think isn't necessary. Um but, you know, it's a fun little thing where you can go around and meet some new people. And sure. that is sort of your, like, job-ish, I guess, where you can, like, if you need some money, well, go go to the guild and see if somebody, see if you can get some by doing some of this stuff instead of just finding it randomly in the wild, right? So, um,
0: having to be part of their
1: job is interesting.
0: Yeah. Miss Monet has a good comment here. What about the main... What about when the main game is 15 to 20 hours, but you can buy bonus DLC to keep the story going. Didn't The Witcher 3 do this? So uh, what you're talking about is actually called an expansion. And expansions are great because, one, typically they were not in development during the game's initial uh, span of development time. So they made their main game and released it. Then, because the game was successful, they continued to add a shorter, essentially new game on top of it. (laughs) Um, The Witcher 3 did this. So The Witcher 3's main story and main game is, I think on average, probably between 50 and 70 hours long. And then they released two, essentially, it's it's not a sequel. I'm not saying it's a sequel, but it is in a way sequel-esque. Because they are not necessarily tied into the main game storyline. They are like new stories, but they're just shorter and and really, but they're self-contained. So um, Heart of Stone is like a 10 hour new story. And mm-hmm. uh, blood and wine is like a 20-ish hour new story that give you like more room to expand, introduce new characters, have a totally new, plot line but they're just in a shorter format than like the main bulk of the main game right so when when they do that uh, that's always really awesome. Uh, it means you just get more of an awesome game, and they, you know, they worked on it and they gave it as a bonus because the game sold well and it was successful. And like, yeah, give the people some more because they finished the main game. It's like, oh man, you know, as a kid, and I beat Ocarina of Time, I just have to play Ocarina of Time again. But if they had had expansions to Ocarina of Time, right? You know, they would have been I would have been stoked. Like, okay, cool. Like, I can play essentially the same game mechanically, and in the same world, same mm-hmm. hubs, or, or same like. <clears throat> A world map but just like expand it a little bit add a new area add a new this that that sort of thing hmm. um uh expansions seem fun why don't they do this more often they usually do it with mmos mmos get lots of expansions because they try to keep their players going for years and years and years um and they, you still will see expansions but uh typically you see smaller dlc than what would be considered like a full-on expansion um any other comments that you saw uh,
1: yeah, I've been seeing a bunch, um, but CapDoc says uh, I prefer when side quests are fully fleshed out scenarios rather than going to a job board, t- you know, in part yes. talking about stuff like 5ac12 um, or random NPC and just being told to kill X amount of things. Um, th- there's like There's like a cost benefit deal that video totally. games have. I mean, it costs a lot of money to create the game and the content of the game. And when you have the main storyline of a game that's maybe, I don't know, 10 hours or so of the actual, you know, like main content that you have to do. um, And then you're filling it with all this other stuff. um, How much time and effort and money are you going to put into the side quest versus the main, the main story? And, you know, my understanding of the Witcher, especially the way you describe it, Mike, I haven't played it, but um, is that, the way you described it, being that it's like a short story almost. It's like it's mm. something that could have gone in the in the book, The Last Wish, or something like that. Yeah. Um, is that that takes a lot of thought and a lot of effort to craft oh, right. those types of experiences? And you know, sometimes I, of course, I would rather have that in a game that I'm playing. Um, but the reason why games don't always do that is because it costs a lot of money. You you need a, a you need your writer whoever you're hiring as the writer to um, you just need to retain them longer, I guess, as they come up with all of the different story reasons for the quests that you decide would be a fun thing for, you know, the players to do. And that just can take a lot of time. It can, it can really hold up development sometimes. And if you're explaining it to your investors, producers, or executives and saying, Oh, we're creating side quests. (laughs) They're going to be like, shut up, put the game on the market right now. It's done. You know? So, so there, there's, there's actually, something, there's some business operation stuff going on there.
0: Too. Yeah, there's there's two things that came to my mind. They're kind of um, devil's advocate of each other, right? So on the yeah. one hand, what you're saying is true. I'm glad you brought it up. It's it's an important element to talk about. Yeah. Um, like in order to structure your quests like that, like I said, it feels like it's been manually crafted versus part of like a a system that just like a spit system. out yeah. a copied version of the same thing mechanically right. done right? just so, changed a few
1: keywords and then yeah it's just it.
0: <laughs> so yeah. i mean and and of course i mean every developer would would probably agree with you that's that's how we wish all the side quests could be but like you're saying there is a huge cost and time yeah. uh, benefit slash like problem with trying to make them all that way so you know, it's like we only have this much time, so we're, this many of the quests will be done that way, and then we'll have all these other quests that are done more this way. But again, and this is one side of the argument, then don't have them, right? Like that doesn't make the mm-hmm. game more valuable to have forty hours of busy work. Of Just cut That's the true. busy work That's out. True, yeah. And this 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 notion or this idea that if the game isn't a certain length. Then, it, then you can't use that as like a selling point. And I mean, obviously that that exists. Like people actually respond to, ooh, it's 50 hours long. I'm going to get more value out of my game. Mm-hmm. But I think that a lot of people do get really fatigued with all that stuff. So it's like, well, then just don't include it. But then on the, the flip side, the the um, counterpoint or the devil's advocate to that, it's side quest. It's side quest. It's side con- You don't have to do it. Exactly. It's optional. The only yeah. problem, Is when games in recent times, and this is the reason I didn't buy Shadows of War, despite Mm. the fact that I love Shadows of Mordor, is that they do sort of like limit you in terms of you're just not high enough level. You don't have the resources to beat the next story mission. And so you have to grind like crazy and do a lot of the really boring side stuff in order to get to the right level or... Microtransaction, bam, you have the thing you need to move on. That's when it becomes a freaking huge problem. That's when it's like, that's bull crap. But for a lot of games, I remember the very first time that I noticed this. Like, the first time that I, I wasn't just playing a game and enjoying it as a kid for pure entertainment, but that I was actually, like, analyzing it from... The perspective of like oh they they designed this like thinking about why the developers did what they did was when i was playing spider-man 2 on the gamecube which is i loved that game it was like the first like truly open world game i'd ever played and the the web slinging in it was freaking sick and the combat was really fun it was like the first spider-man game that was any good in my opinion i know that there's one on the playstation that's considered like a great game i i'm aware of that so don't Come at me. I just didn't play that one. I had an N sixty four, okay? So anyways, um, it was the first one I had played that I thought was really good. And but I started noticing that like they had all these just these waypoints around the city where like this the, the they had like 20 guys across the city like every day who are window washers that are falling. Like, oh no, he's yeah, gonna fall yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and you have to go save him. <laughs> Well, this
1: kind of reminds you a little bit of things like, um, like Grand Theft Auto or mm-hmm. uh, the game that we played, uh, True Crime: Streets of L.A. Yeah, because <laughs> we yeah. had Nintendo, um, where it's like the cops are just like, ah, oh, there's a bank robbery happening, and you you can choose to go, you know, help or not. I guess, mm-hmm. but it's always the same things happening every yep. time. Oh, we have a vehicle chase happening. All oh, right, sweet. And in some ways, that is being. Uh, an undercover police officer you are kind of doing the same things every day i guess sure sure. but in the game context it was just like plug you know it was just like a formula where it was like all right now now this other person is robbing this other bank at this other part of town now go save them Mm -hmm. okay now this other dude stole another car and go chase them and it ends up being the same thing over and over and it's fun to do for a while Uh, eventually it loses its uh its um
0: Cap uh, CapDoc says, my balloon. So there's these kids all across New York City that are losing their balloons. It's an <laughs> epidemic of kids losing balloons across New York City. And Spider-Man, Man, only Spider-Man <laughs> can get those balloons back. You know what yeah. I mean? It just feels silly when you repeat it that much. And I remember that being the first time where I was sitting playing a game and I, I sort of became analytical like, holy crap, like why are they repeating the same thing over and over again? They probably yeah. wanted to extend playtime. They Wanted it to be like, oh, our game is this many hours long, but they just filled it with save my balloon quests and yeah. save the guy who's falling or, or the old lady's getting her purse stolen, or <sighs> like they're, they're all the same, you know, and, yeah. and it breaks immersion because it's not. And that doesn't mean that it's a bad game. I still think Spider Man 2, uh, that era's Spider Man 2 game, was pretty good. Um, I had a lot of fun with it, but uh, the side quests. Are definitely not like the best or strongest aspect of the game. Yeah. Miss um, Monay says um, having too many hours in a game can sometimes make the game feel a bit pointless and fatiguing. Like Star Wars would be cool again if they would uh, have a if they gave a several year hiatus, which is what they are doing now. I don't know if you heard that part. Uh, similarly, mm-hmm. I think uh, a game might be exciting again if it it was shorter and you create expansions to keep it going later down the road. Yeah, I think that the the corporate side of things, when you have a hit, like a really big hit, it sells really well. The, the the tendency there is, let's saturate the the world with this property as long as we can and make absolute just buttloads loads of money, as much as possible, maximize profits to the fullest possible extent, yep. and as soon as people are sick of it, kill it forever, and then find the next thing. <laughs> and... For all of us who are artistically and like emotionally invested in the stories and characters, that's heresy. Mm -hmm. That's horrible. You're killing the thing that we love for money. But from a business side of things, which is what funds the whole thing to begin with, it's like our job is to make as much money as possible. And that's the best way to make the most money possible. And who cares about it? They have a
1: duty to the executives, they have a duty to their employees they have a duty to their shareholders. Like they, I've never been in a position um, where I've like owned a company and then I've been worried about making payroll about being able to pay all the people that I employ. Right. And that's part of why they're just like, I know a lot of it is greed and all this stuff, but at the same time, they've got other things they need to worry about. And a lot of it is money related and they are real worries because people lose their jobs all the time and studios close all the time for this kind of stuff. And Whatever can get them money is—I mean, that's their job. That's what the
0: executives do. Yep. it's the reason we have any of this stuff. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, it sucks to see yeah. something you love become part of a corporate machine that just runs yeah. it into the ground like that. It really sucks. It does. I mean, that—that's—that's that's the pain I've been dealing with for ten years with Final Fantasy. You know, with Square Enix. Yep, yep. and I—I've held on for so long and like only kind of recently got to the point where I've just kind of stopped caring about it you know but Mm. it's not quite the same because Final Fantasy games don't come out annually but uh, Assassin's Creed I used to really like Assassin's Creed Um, Mm. I played uh, Assassin's Creed 1 you know it was it had problems but I liked the concept so much that I played the second one I liked that and I liked uh, Brotherhood a lot that was my favorite one and I liked how they finished off Ezio's story in the in Revelation like I was really into it. And then, you know, Assassin's Creed 3 burned me a little bit. Um, and then Black Flag brought it back up and I was way into it again. And then just every single freaking year, Assassin's Creed is just like, ugh. Uh, yeah. I've already I've already gone to every cause it is repetitious. It's like the game is go to a new area, find the eagle high point, and unlock the map, and then unlock all the quests in that map. <laughs> go do all the quests, go to the next zone. Go to the Eagle Point, unlock the map, do go do all the quests in there. Yeah. I was like, I've done this. I've done this like five times. I platinumed uh, Assassin's Creed 2, Brotherhood, and Revelation. So I got a platinum trophy, meaning I did everything in the game on those three. And by the time I got to Black Flag and I was starting to do that again where I was going through like the grind of just doing everything, I was like, dude, how many times am I going to waste my time doing the same thing? This is crazy. Mm. I have to stop. So I haven't played a Assassin's Creed since Black Flag. And that was probably even one game too much, even though it is good, though. I, I, do, I do think Black Flag's legitimately a good game. Yeah. People should play it. It's great. Just don't play all of them. Just play one of them. If you're going to pick one, Black Flag's a pretty good one to pick. Um, uh, Bieberman says, Breath of the Wild has some awesome side quests. I,
1: I agree with that, but Breath of the Wild's almost in a different category. The whole game is nothing but side quests. <laughs> you don't have quests. to do anything. They made this massive world, and it's literally just side quests. There isn't much of a main story. You can go mm-hmm. fight the final boss in the first you know, 30 minutes of the game if you know what you're doing. Like The the, it, the whole game is side quests. So I, I would almost categorize it differently, but technically they are all side quests, and when you put that much time, as much time, we talked before about the cost-benefit thing. Well, this Nintendo team put basically all of their money into side quests and yeah it turned out that there were some pretty pretty fun ones right really good ones um, but it's basically what the whole game is so I don't even know if I could fairly you know categorize those
0: as side quests um, let's see Dude McGuy says the side quests in Final Fantasy 15 suffer from this as well epidemic of broken down cars on the road and only Prince Noctis and his bros can help them <laughs> yeah we've talked about yeah. that in the past which is where... hilarious
1: because they couldn't fix their own car remember the game starts out yeah. with them pushing the car into yeah. cindy's shop so that she could yeah. fix it and it's like dudes and then we've got to go anyways it's really
0: funny. i i hate the side quests of ff15 for the most part um and and again it's because it's it's done to add content without thought behind does this content actually like fit in the world we're talking about yeah. like uh because i mean we told people to imagine this say your car's broken down and donald trump jr comes by <laughs> yes. and you're like hey can you go uh, down uh, down the and, and get me the parts i need to fix my car you're like asking like somebody of yeah. like high well actually by that time noctis was essentially the king he wasn't even the that's that. true his
1: dad wasn't even around so it'd be the
0: same sure. as asking the president of the united states to fix yeah. your car for you what the frick are you doing like why or, <laughs>
1: <laughs> but here's the thing they might actually do it for you if there are cameras around right so yeah. they might actually be like oh sure oh, okay i'll go i'll help you out or they'll send somebody or they'll just give you money on the spot or whatever and,
0: oh that's such a good person Yep. And then in addition to that, the other the other type of quest I really hated from Fifteen was there was this um, area, I think it was in like kind of the main town, I forget the name of the town, uh, where they have like that nuclear reactor or whatever it is that they're using for power. I, it's not mm-hmm. a nuclear reactor, but they have to wear suits when they go inside of it. Yeah, yeah. Anyways, it's in that town, and uh, there's like a, just like a market, you know, like a food market, and you go there and the guy's like... Hey, can you like go to this farm on the other side of the freaking continent and bring me ingredients to sell? Yeah, that's <laughs> or bring a good me like much. vegetables. <laughs> it's like this is yeah. your effing job. This is your livelihood. Your business is going to be like, is going to live or die based on asking your king to go grab vegetables for you. <laughs>
1: It, it, it's even beyond. nobody's that,
0: competent in the whole world to like know, take care yeah. of their own
1: problems but it's like what happens next time you run out of this stuff like are you going to continue asking the king for it or are you going to learn
0: how to do this yourself so it's it's, it's uh, ask a man for a fish instead of learning exactly how to fish teaching him how to fish exactly asking the king for a fish instead. I know it's like a whole other thing <laughs> <laughs> But what that does is it makes the world a, a kind of the silly, the real silly extreme of being a power fantasy. Nothing operates in the world unless the player is directly involved. Nobody can take care of themselves. Nobody can do anything. You have to do everything. And that makes yeah. the world feel cheap. It makes the world feel like it isn't believable or real. And so I, I don't like side quests when they're. I would rather not have them at all and have the game be 15 hours than have a 50 hour game filled with crap like that. Yeah. So But you don't um, have to do it. (laughs) You don't have to do it. That's true. And that that is the that is the counterpoint. You do not have to do it. That's
1: the thing. It's like, well
0: So I I mean that's a I mean I I can't really argue if there's a game where because
1: here's the funny thing. We got Breath of the Wild, right? Basically nothing but side quests. You don't have to do it. But when you talk to somebody who's played that game they they did they did almost all of them, right mm-hmm. and you can you can talk about certain places and certain points, and the people the people who play anybody who played that game will likely come back and say, "Yes, I did that as well, right mm-hmm. Um so creating the feeling of being compelled to do a side quest as opposed yeah. to forcing people to have to do something they don't want to do or making it not compelling enough to where they miss all this stuff because they don't really want to waste their time doing it. Breath of the Wild did a great job of compelling you to want to do all of the side quests. And that's one of the things that games, I think, have a really hard time doing is yeah you can either have all the content but it kind of sucks or you can have killer content but no the story or the the world itself isn't compelling enough for people to want to explore it all the time uh Mm -hmm. but there's a sweet spot right there and and very few games really actually hit that
0: so uh, a couple things from the comments and then i had a couple thoughts hopefully i don't forget them um McGuire says, this happens a lot, Mike. The trophies, extrinsic rewards, cause people to play games much more than they would otherwise. That's yeah. true, too. They use trophies or achievements now as a means don't. to extend playtime as well. Yeah, and that's almost as bad as having
1: random side quests.
0: And it's a psychological thing. Like, yeah. it, it, it it, ignites the, the reward and pleasure center Re- of the reward brain systems. Yeah, to exactly. do that, right? It's like, ooh, yeah. I accomplished something. Yeah, but, exactly. <laughs> and and then you look on the outside. You're sitting on a couch for like, you know, fifty hours. Um, but it, it it ignites that part. It, it fires the neurons in that part of the brain, and it, it's rewarding to people. So it's a it's definitely a psychological or um, almost in a way an addicting kind of uh, feeling. Um, Rob says, "Set a man on fire. He'll be warm for a night. Set or set a man. Set a man a fire. Create a fire for a man." He'll be warm for the night. Set a man on fire. He'll be warm for the rest of his life. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that is so smart. It's a, it's a, good, one. It's a is, good one. That is That is genius. It's, a, it's an oldie but a goodie. Good one. Uh, Cap Doc says, these are some unexpected examples, but I found it interesting how much of an effect the direction of side content was handled in the old Digimon world games for PS1, or the old Digimon world game for PS1. From way back in the day versus one of the more uh, modern iterations, that game had you going around recruiting more monsters to inhabit your town. And with every new recruit, they'd impart new information and lore that provided some world building or served a piece as a piece of the main narrative. Uh, In the modern iteration, you have the exact same side content recruits, but they provide no flavor, no world building and have little ties to the main story everything important to the overarching narrative is delivered through cutscenes, despite having you do the exact same business uh, gameplay-wise. The difference in the presentation and rewards made a uh, noticeably different impact on the total experience. That's a great example, actually. That was a good comment. That was very well thought about. Wisdom of Terry Pratchett. Oh, that's a Terry Pratchett quote. That's why I've seen that before. Oh, there you Um, go. Nice. So, no. What I was going to say, though, was like... Uh, just like the quest starter, like the, the, the event that begins the quest itself, I think can have a huge impact on whether the player is like excited about it, right? Let's say, sure, sure. for instance, the motivation, you, yeah. you walk into town and you just see a bunch of anonymous people with exclamation points on their heads. It's like, OK, that guy has a quest for me and they'll tell you how helpless they are and I can't do anything by myself. Help me. I'm useless. And it's like, OK, fine. I'll go freaking find your ring hidden somewhere in the city so that they can teach me about jumping and exploring rooftops or whatever. Right. Like, again, the entire structure of the, the entire side quest exists to teach you how to do parkour or whatever and how to explore vertically in a city. Um or, oh, no, like, this monster is, like, inside of my farm and I can't, like, whatever. And then they teach you how to, like, do the whole process for hunts. The game's, like, hunt system. So you do a tutorial for it. Okay. You can do that or you can be playing the game not knowing that you triggered something to start a quest. And then all of a sudden you wake up and you're freaking, like, in a different area from where you went to sleep. And the Dark Brotherhood are standing above you and they're like... yeah. Like, there's this we we need you to do something for us. That's like, whoa, wait a second. You didn't even know you triggered a side quest, but you did. And then it waits. The game waits for you to manually go to sleep. You may never go to sleep in the whole game. You may stay awake forever. (laughs) But I think sleeping is at least one way you pass time in the game. I think you can also just wait. But in any case, when you go to sleep, you wake up and you're in a different area. And it's like this whole thing opens up. Like, that's way more of a hook. It's way more engaging. It's like, ooh, like what's going to happen here? And there's a whole story again tied to it, you know? So that's way, way more engaging as a side quest. Have two or three or five of those and none of the others, and I'll be happy to play your game for 15 hours, 20 hours. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, but like like we said, I mean, it's not, it's not necessarily that easy to just like – yeah, just do it this way because, again, they're a business, they're trying to make money, and there is something to the fact that a player will be hesitant to buy a game for $60 if it says it's only got 15 hours of gameplay on the back. Yeah, exactly. So. You know, even fetch quests can be fun,
1: and that's something uh, that Aaron Dight <laughs> brings up here, saying, my favorite Breath of the Wild side quest is ultimately a fetch quest, but it resulted in a whole in a whole town being built. Um the reward for that quest was high enough that despite it being nothing but a fetch quest, you were able to see something pretty substantial come of it as opposed Mm -hmm. to most fetch quests, which is you get 100 bucks or 100 gold or whatever, and Mm -hmm. you did the fetch quest. Like, uh, sweet, that wasn't very fun. Um, But the reward in the game for Breath of the Wild, at least for that quest, is pretty pretty big.
0: Uh, Miss Bonet, one more thing here, and I think we'll move on. That's when I yeah. say so I always feel like I have to do side quests because one, otherwise I didn't fully take advantage of the game. See, that's that's the part that makes me lean toward the other side of the argument where don't include them at all. Because there is something where you feel compelled you feel like to do it.
1: Kind of obligated to do it. Even though
0: you're not.
1: You're like, well, I may as well do it anyways.
0: And it's and, and yeah, you can point at me and say, well, well, just don't. Just like if you don't like it, then don't do it. Yes, yes, but there is still something. <laughs> Yeah, it's still part. It's still part of the game, and it's not exempt from criticism, right? It could okay. still be made better. Uh, number two, she says, if I don't do the side quests now, that I'm going to have to start a whole game over in order to experience them. So, missable side quests, freaking annoying. I hate that where yeah. if you don't do it right now, there's going to be an event that happens in the game that prevents you from coming back and doing this. So missable side content sucks. I hate
1: that. It but also by avoiding missable side content, you get things like what you've brought up in the past where a guy's like, I'll be waiting at midnight for you. <laughs> and then he's like five months later, he's still waiting. <laughs> and, and, and it doesn't work for the story. It doesn't work for the world. It's very, it takes, it, it's a, um, what do they call it? Immersion breaking, but otherwise you'd miss it and that sucks. So
0: they You're have right. to do that. <laughs> I think that what you should do rather is not take out all missable side content, but just make it very clear that it is missable side content.
1: Or, or maybe you have to, you missed it, you have to initiate it again from the beginning. The guy's not just going to wait there for five months. Right. You like, he, he, the next time you see him, he's like, well, I, I was waiting for you. Why weren't you there? And then you've got to reinitiate the whole thing instead of. Just whenever you have time, go, go there and he'll still be waiting for you. Yeah.
0: But if you make it clear, like, Hey, if we don't do this now, then you're going to miss your opportunity forever. Then you go, okay, I need to prioritize that over this other thing I'm doing. I'll go do that right now. If they make that clear rather than like, Hey, come do this thing. Okay. I'll come back. Uh, I got other things to do. And then like, whoops, you missed it. That always sucks yeah um number three she says if your friends are doing the side quests you don't want to be the only one who didn't you both you want both bragging rights and not feeling left out when you go back to school right the next day if, so, if you're
1: in social circles like that yeah that's that is a big pull
0: um that's what i mean by missable side quests uh miss Mona. she says uh not just missable side quests. Literally, if you don't do any of the quests, any uh, any of the side quests, now you will have to restart the entire game in order to do the side quests. So that's what we mean by missable side quests: is that uh, once once you lose your opportunity to do it, then you can't do it unless you restart the game and go back and to that point. Yeah. So, um, okay. I think that's good for now. All right, let's move on. Let's move on to our last segment here community stories. We just have one from Patreon. This comes from Chris Ewan. Beast. Says uh, In light of your recent experiences in Suicoden 2, I've got a question. When and how can storytelling via gameplay go horribly wrong? I'm guessing the primary way is that when the storytelling constantly forces you to feel like you lost, regardless of the performance or your performance. FF4 does this a lot, but it doesn't annoy me in that game, as you usually win the combat, but then the cutscene afterwards reveals how your characters are set back anyway. Uh... This was a huge part of Donkey's review of um, Xenoblade Chronicles Two. It's like, ah, you pulled the old win in the win in the game, losing the in the uh, losing the cutscene trick, <laughs> the <laughs> oldest trick in the book. <laughs> you yeah. like beat the crap out of the boss, but then the boss beats you in the cutscene. Yeah,
1: somehow he still wins, or he gets away. Still, he runs right past you.
0: Uh, it goes on to say other possibilities. Uh, my brother was royally cheesed off on his first Final Fantasy VII playthrough given how much grinding he had done with Eris. Uh, the opening of the, Owl, or the opening of Owlboy has your character failing at a number of tutorial tasks. Some people oh, seem to respond oh. really well to this, but it yeah. felt kind of forced and arbitrary to me, at least the way it was done. There's hmm. also Egoraptor's complaints about Ocarina of Time, where assigning quests to the player character that don't align with the player's actual motivations annoy him. So I haven't seen that video. I probably should have watched it, Ego Raptor. So I'm not sure. I, I I don't. I can't think of a single example myself in Ocarina of Time where I what I wanted and what the assigned quest for the character was were different somehow. But hmm. I, I guess I have to watch the video, so I can't really talk about that. I, I never felt that way playing Ocarina of Time, though. I can say that much. Um, but it's a really good question. Um in light of your recent experience with and 2, so, in and 2, they, they have a new large-scale battle system. In the first game, they had more or less a rock-paper-scissors minigame, um, where if I choose, like, charge, and the enemy chooses uh, I think it's magic, then they would beat me. But if I chose bow, and they chose magic, I would beat them. And fight. So it's like the three-way thing, right? So you choose yeah. one of the three and their side will win that round or your side will win that round and you just whittle down their armies. I thought it was clever. I thought it was, you know, there were there were certain characters you could recruit that would give you a hint if you sent them into the camp. They gave a hint about what their next attack might be so you could get, like, a little bit of an advantage and win these battles. You know, it's it's a little RNG, but, like, it's kind of cool. Like, I liked it. In Suikoden Two. They have like a full out like tactical RPG, like strategy RPG tile based thing going on, except it's incredibly limited in comparison to like Final Fantasy Tactics or Fire Emblem or something like that or Shining Force. Like you have units that have a certain like number of tiles they can move in a single turn. Right. If you're on foot, the character can make maybe like four or five tiles move forward. But if and the maps are obviously larger, but if you have like a if you have like a winged or a a, a horse character on horseback, they can go further in a single turn, right? In Suikoden Two, your units can only move one freaking tile in any direction on any turn. So it takes freaking forever to move around. There's like no strategy to it in terms of like because you're you you don't get to choose the placement of your units. They're just placed wherever. So it's like. Anyways, it's 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 really limited and I, I don't like it as much. And I've gone through probably six or seven of those battles and I still have not had one where it's like the goal of it is to win the battle. <laughs> it's only <laughs> used as a method for telling the story. So you're going to either lose or win, but it's not by how you choose to fight. It's done. It's It's constituted by, oh, reinforcements showed up or, oh our strategist hid his real plan from us the entire time and then like reinforcements popped up out of nowhere and we had no idea what was coming it's all basically just the story but you're just clicking around for like 5 turns before you get to see the resolution of the battle hmm. and to me that's really frustrating cuz it's like what is the point of these just like play a cutscene just play a cutscene and show me how the battle happened because i have no control over this right the re- the result's going to be the same no matter what i do so, you know, they, they, they used it in a really clever way that I won't spoil in order to make me appreciate a certain character more because I had all these misgivings about the character and I was like, I don't like this guy. And, like, you know, they I think they want me to like him, but I don't. And then they used the battle in a way that I totally didn't expect for a storytelling purpose. Hmm. And I was like, whoa, that character's amazing. And I liked the character all of a sudden. But cool. still, it's like seven, eight battles, six battles, whatever it is that I am into this game, and I still, I'm just like, they're pointless. They, in terms of like, it's not really meant for me to play it. It's not a challenge. It's not, It's not. I don't win or lose. It's just, you just sit there and move guys around a little bit and wait for it to be over. Yeah. <laughs> so I don't like the way it's handled in and 2. Are there any other examples like that you can think of from games you've played where the gameplay telling the story through the gameplay actually hurt the game
1: um honestly no (laughs) that's not something i've really uh thought about too much um i don't really have anything for that yeah i'm trying to think too it's it's um i I would usually say rule of thumb as much as you can you should try to tell the story through the gameplay yeah
0: but um but also have a lose state (laughs) Yeah, it's <laughs> like there's actual sto- stakes in it so you actually have to like do something to win yeah that would be nice
1: <laughs> <laughs> but they've got to make i don't know they've got to make it interactable but the story progresses so yeah it's like you they may as well just show a cutscene in that sense but it is a game so i want it to be as interactive as possible so sure i don't know It's kind of interesting. um oh yakuza people... yakuza <laughs> Oh, does this happen in Yakuza? I haven't played it. I, what are they, oh, what are you guys I'm talking about something else. Play for five seconds, watch forty minutes of cutscenes. Oh, right. <laughs> I guess. Not really what I was thinking of. I've never played Yakuza before. Yeah, uh,
0: dude. Guy says. Was
1: in the chat either.
0: Says losing in the cutscene after winning the battle is an example of ignoring the player input. So it's not storytelling through gameplay; it's ignoring the gameplay for the sake of the story. Yes, which is terrible. It's better to give the player control in an unwinnable situation. Um, yeah, so you have those battles in RPGs, right, where you can't win. Like the, the the boss is way too high level, and you're supposed to die. And then you waste all your phoenix downs, and you waste all your potions uh, trying geez. to like survive right. the battle. <laughs>
1: That's work because it's like. Is this one I'm supposed to lose or not cuz I'm not using my my potions and stuff?
0: I still like that better than winning in the game losing in the cutscene though. Yeah. When I win in the game and I like and I'm like I just wipe the floor with the boss and I just like kick its butt and then he just cuts up and goes "Blin!" like uses some power and we're all down. It's just like F you game." Like come on.
1: That's where if you're going to have the player fight the battle that he's supposed to lose, you need to make sure he the player loses that battle. Well, right, because yeah, you—you you, well, it can't be off of you attacking the enemy that initiates the cutscene. It needs to be the enemy attacking you that initiates the "you lost" kind of thing. Otherwise, it just feels like you won, and then you find out later that you didn't win.
0: So, Berserker Blitz seven seven seven. Good comment there. Let me come back to that one second. But like, at least in the example where you can't win, right? Because the enemy's too powerful when you watch the cutscene after you believe oh I could not have won because the, the, the bad guy's too powerful so the story feels right it's like I guess it's too powerful for me so the, the, at least within the story beat it works but when you win in the cuts or win in the game and lose in the cutscene it's like but I'm stronger than you I, get, I just proved it through my actions I'm stronger than you are so like the, the, the boss no longer feels powerful it feels arbitrary that they're trying to tell me he's powerful, but they don't show me he's powerful. In fact, what they show me is the exact opposite of what they're telling me. And so yeah. I don't believe them. And so I just get annoyed. Um, but uh, this comment from where'd it go? Fetch. well uh, there it is. Berserker Blitz. Kingdom Hearts 1 did it right with Leon, where it depends on how you do the fight. So Leon's really hard when you first encounter him kind of early in the game. It's like a little tutorial thing, but you can beat him. But you just have to be really, really, really freaking good, right? Um, Kind of the same thing with the Riku fights on Destiny Island, actually. Yeah, Yeah, yeah. If you engage with it and get better at it, like, and the entire story hinges on that, like trying to one up or be better than him. Right. So if you lose and you're bad, then it makes Riku feel more powerful than you. If you can beat him, then it's like, no, we're we're more equals. You know what I mean? The rivalry still works in that story either way. Way, yeah, totally, and and it'll be contextualized by your actions. So, your input into the game will contextualize your interpretation of that game's story, and the rivalry between the characters will be shaped in your mind by how you performed in those fights on Destiny Island. That's Mm. freaking phenomenal! That's really well done. That's how you should do it. That's true. Uh, anything else from people? No, not really. Um, okay, um.
1: People brought up Beatrix from Final Fantasy IX, how there's like a, you just have to last a certain amount of time. Yep. And it initiates the cutscene as opposed to, you know, you can't just lose immediately. And it's like, oh, you were supposed to lose. It's like, no, you lost too quickly.
0: <laughs> yeah. It's kind of funny. Anyways. Yeah. I mean, telling the, the story through the gameplay is important, but yeah, I mean, like make sure that, uh, make sure that the player feels like they have some level of, real participation. I think in the in 2 case, you just need to make a failure state. Yeah. Just make some way of the where you can actually lose and the and the, you have to do this to win. So you have a, a an objective and a, and a failure state. That's kind of like the whole freaking crux of tactical RPGs to begin with. You have an objective, which is either kill the boss, uh, route the enemy, take this um, castle, like, like uh, what do they call it? Where you like take your character and put them on that tile. And, like, uh, you take it or defend for a certain number of rounds or whatever yeah. it is.
1: There's different, like, um, objectives.
0: You have a main objective and then you have a fail state tied to that. If you don't do this, you lose. If you, if, if you don't defend to this character within this many rounds, then you lose. If you don't uh, kill the boss, you lose. Or if you lose your main character, if your main character dies, then it's game over. So as long as you have a failure state and an objective it would be fine but it just feels like and Two*'s battles don't have that it's just like a click around and watch people fight each other until the game decides after six rounds that they're going to do the cutscene and resolve the conflict Um. Yeah. anyways yeah I think it's pretty good on that point I think so too and I think that's the end of our podcast thank you for watching everyone we appreciate your input in the chat appreciate yes. you guys we were able to read more
1: than normal
0: yeah it was good um let's see i am still aside from this on a little bit of a streaming hiatus because of the uh construction going on in the room behind me so um that that set should be done this week sometime so maybe i'll be able to come back for final fantasy friday next friday but i don't know for sure if they're going to be finished they said they're gonna be done by wednesday but i don't i i I can never tell with these guys so they may not be done um but if they are Final Fantasy Friday, will be back. Kason's working on a really cool video right now. Um, what is your your progress on that? Coming along pretty well because it's a really cool idea. I think you guys are gonna like it a lot. Yeah, so it's it's coming along. Um,
1: I've got the script almost completely written now. So. Nice, nice.
0: And uh, I've got my Prince of Persia retrospective I'm working on. So oh, good nice. stuff on the way to look yep. forward to. Uh, thanks everybody. Till next week. Have a good one. Peace out. Peace out.